Welcome to the Time Management Podcast with me, your host, Abigail Barnes. I'm a productivity coach, global speaker, time management author, and award-winning entrepreneur on a mission to share the 888 formula with the world and to remind you that it's your time. Leave it to me to bring you new time management tips, tricks, tools, and strategies to introduce you to guests, research, and case studies from around the world, and to give you a simple five-step process you can follow to up-level your productivity, achieve your goals, and create a life that exceeds your wildest dreams. I'm so excited that you're here, so let's get started. Daryl Evans, I am so excited and honored to have you here on the podcast today. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Abigail. I'm glad to be with you again. It's been a long time and I'm looking forward to our chat today. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. For the benefit of the audience who are not aware of your amazing self, what it is you do, how you do it, I would love if we could just start off with like a 60 second Who is Daryl? What does he do? How did he get here? Overview. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So my name is Daryl Evans, and I'm uh, here from Las Vegas, Nevada. I started my entrepreneurial career at the age of 20, starting a business out of the trunk of my car while I was in college and also working as a restaurant general manager for a company called Taco Bell. Fast forward through the world of college and into my degree, I went into the world of real estate and financial services, ended up as a mortgage lender in the world of 2000 to 2010. And I stumbled on digital digital marketing around 2003. And the fascination for me was the change in consumer behavior, my own, and how we could leverage the internet to reach customers, to stay top of mind, to build brand, to get leads, and to convert more sales. In 2008, as the real estate market erupted and the mortgage industry collapsed, I started pondering uh, customer acquisition in an entirely new way for other industries. I met my uh, former business partner, and we started uh, Yokel Local. I'm open to changing the name at some point because I'm not a fan of it anymore. But we started an agency, a uh, digital marketing agency in 2011. And for the last uh, 12 or so years, uh, we've helped companies, small, medium, and large, generate well over $300 million in revenue through a six-step framework that we have pretty much uh, mastered as our recipe to a delicious chocolate cake. Wow, that is some intro and amazing. I'm so excited for this conversation because you have a career that we can look at time as the overlay. So what was your relationship like with time in the past when you were maybe working in sort of the mortgage sector in in corporate America? What was time? How did time factor into your life back then? It's a great question. So time for me has changed. And back then I was after the chase of success. And so for me, time was in the way. (laughs) It's like time was in the way. What's the next product? What's the next deal? What's the next relationship I needed to develop? When's the next deal closing? It was as if time didn't exist or as if I thought I had a limited amount of it. And as if I didn't get it all collapsed, if I didn't get success collapsed into this window, that it was completely made up. And I know that we all understand that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. But that's a a perspective that can alter our behavior on a day-to-day basis in an unhealthy way. And I think there's a healthy time to to understand that, that concept. But then the chase of entrepreneurship and leadership and sales, revenue growth, which is sort of my lane for the last 20 or so years, 20 something years, it got out of balance uh, to the point where, you know, you hear about this with athletes who are just the most prolific in their sports. 
they set aside everything. Family gets set aside, kids get set aside. Whatever they're focused on is what they get focused on. And, and they do reach that pinnacle by doing that. But they also look back many years later and regret all of the things that the kids were doing when they were growing up. So I did do that for a little while in my 30s. And it also led to some healthy health habits where I'd always been involved in sports and movement and activity. And while I maintained some of it, uh, the pace that I, which I was running, I would set aside other priorities such as my health, my eating, sleep, mental balance, stress relief. I think during that 10 year, 10 or 11 year run, we did 1700 mortgage loans, which is not the top of the world by any means, but it's a fair number of loans, uh, it's a fair number of customers, lots of real estate, uh, lots of um, relationships. And I think I took two vacations during that entire time. Now I took a lot of three and four day breaks but I really only took two two-week vacations or something like that. Wow. And what was your time wake-up call, if you like? Lots of people I speak to, they had some kind of incident. It probably wasn't as dramatic as mine. What was yours? Yeah, and I know yours. Uh, I certainly know yours. Certainly wasn't like yours, but it was a health-related sort of thing that was a wake-up call. Uh, you know, it started with not sleeping well. It started with not feeling well. And when you know your body... I say this number one thing, everyone knows their own body and you know when things are off, whether you've been to the doctor or not. And I felt like something was off and I felt like it was off for about three months and I couldn't pin it down. And today, you know, we have all of these sleep devices and we have the Apple watches and all of the things that can track some of our behavior. We didn't have that back then. So, but I just knew something was off, but I didn't rush to the doctor because it wasn't feeling, you know, tragic or anything. I could just sense it, it's that intuitive understanding of our own body. Anyway, I went and checked my blood pressure and it was a little bit on the pre-hypertensive side and I did nothing. That was the interesting part. Like the numbers were the numbers. And as an athlete, like you respond to the numbers as an analyst, you respond to the numbers. I did nothing. I waited another couple, three months and sure enough, I checked my blood pressure again and it was the same number or higher, slightly higher. Wasn't outrageous, but it was still in that pre-hypertensive state. And I did nothing again. And I kept at, as if it didn't matter. Yet I still, I was making a decision to continue to feel bad, right? And finally, I went a third time. Still didn't go to the doctor. I just went a third time to this uh, back then again. Now we all have these blood pressure devices at home. Like we didn't have all this technology. It's an amazing time today. But back then, this is about 10 years, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> finally the third time I'm like enough is enough <laughs> and I uh, changed my diet changed my fitness routine got really intentional about sleep did some research I went to the doctor by the way I'm sorry I did go to the doctor and they're like yeah you're you know pre-hypertensive but we're not going to put you on medication until you get to this number and I'm like well I pro promise you I'm not coming back I'm not going to get to that number it's a wrap and that's what the wake-up call was is related and it was not just a matter of it, it was about how i was not managing my life and how i was letting my business manage me and the demands of people and customers i was essentially letting other people's agendas manage me and that's what was it was largely stress related so would you say looking back you weren't prioritizing your time or you were living in the mindset of i don't have enough time and these are the things I've got to do so this became my priority was it a combination of both yeah I can look back and call it I, I can say I was reacting to other people's problems and see when other people's problems don't have an agenda it happens whenever it happens and the problem was I didn't have boundaries around what was 
important to me. And when you don't establish priorities that are important to you, then everybody else's priorities become <laughs> important to you. And when you live in the concept, especially when we're service providers, so I want to contextualize this. You know, when you're an entrepreneur and you have team, you have vendors, you have referral partners, you have customers, you have leads, there's a lot of inputs that come at you needs. People need you a lot. And so I just let that get away from me. And I didn't realize that I was moving my own health and well-being further down and further down and further down and further down until I reached this point where my body was saying, hey, homie, you forget about this guy over here because if you don't have <laughs> me, you can't do all that for them. And it was sort of a, it wasn't a big major thing. It was just that subtle awareness. And I've really practiced mindfulness over the last, you know, a lot of things have changed now in the last 13 years, but it was just that me giving, not having a prioritization model for myself before I went into the world of leadership and execution, which is, I love it. I love the game of what I do. I love every bit of it. And it is demanding and it is ever changing and it is stressful. Those are facts, but it was, it was as if I'd, I'd not allowed for a prioritized Daryl schedule that fit into the same 24 hours that I was giving everybody else schedule, if that makes sense. That makes so, so much sense. And what I'm hearing you say is that there was a way that you understood others operated, but there was a standard that you had set yourself. And it was almost Herculean standard. It was sort of an impossibility to get to. And so many people that I speak to, they live like this sort of stage of their life where their body, their well-being is almost an inconvenience to the targets and the goals and the things that they want to achieve. Would you say that that's... I love the way you said that. <laughs> it's almost like an inconvenience to take care of ourselves. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's almost like we... Again, I, I'm speaking largely, uh, you know, I've owned mostly service businesses over the last, I've owned six businesses now over, you know, 30 years or whatever, most all in the service ar ar arena. And so when you come from a background and, and listen, I got to give my mom a ton of credit and, and shout out for her work ethic in, uh, she worked in banking and retail and, and her, I've watched her serve and I watched her provide customer service to where people would hunt her down because they just she was, she would brighten anyone's day. And so I learned from her modeling and hearing how she would speak to customers who, you know, I mean, so I learned it from her, but I think I just took this level of customer service and I put a frame around customer service that was inappropriate because while I thought I was doing all of this extra customer service, what I was really doing was wearing myself out. And the reason I know that is because as time went on and I started removing aspects of what I thought was amazing customer service, no one was frustrated. No one complained. And wouldn't you know it, it was easy to, it was, it became easy to carve out two to three hours a day for me, as opposed to thinking I owed them all these extra hours and all these extra emails and all these extra touch points. They didn't need them. And it was just a false narrative in my head. And that's what led me to sort of that stress, right? It was me telling myself a bad story. That is so, so fascinating. And we've so many things to talk about, but I really would love to know, just sticking with this point for a minute, can you pinpoint, do you think, looking back and even talking about it now, what triggered almost this 
over-service service within you? Because you said you watched your mum, you, you were modelling her, but it was almost like you needed to do more, but you were admitting yeah. that what she did was pretty amazing. Yeah, I can tell you that one of the reasons I over-service and still to some degree, I still have, it's not cured. If there was an addiction to over-servicing your customer, over-servicing, I'm still recovering in this category. I just am now more aware of it. And it stems to fear of loss. And I have done some work. I can't prove it all the way to the core, but I have had some life uh, as a child. And this is not necessarily a bad thing, but my natural father left and I you know, was taken in under my father, my dad, who recently just passed away. So, so subconsciously, I didn't think it affected me. But the more and more I got older, I realized I hadn't dealt with the, the anger and the, the, the fear of loss. And then my dad and I had some challenges. And so I think as time went on, I was afraid of losing the relationship. And I think subtly, while this is not entrepreneurship, subconsciously, I was dealing with my own emotions, my own internal battles of being afraid that I would lose, not lose the business, not lose the revenue, but lose the feeling of being wanted or needed. And I don't know if I've fully recovered from just that deep feeling and you try to muscle it up and toughen it up and man it up, but I don't know for sure if I've completely handled all of that. And so I've been working on that because I think that's what manifested in my business was not over-servicing because I didn't want them to leave in a very oh. subconscious, deeply bad way. And I, I just think that th those are some of the things that have been uncovered as, as I've worked through it over the years. Wow. My friend, I am beyond grateful that you have the vulnerability and also the self-development to be able to share this with us, because I know there will be many people who will listen to this, who will resonate with what you've just shared. And I very deeply resonate with this. Also, there is so much work out there around the formative years of ourselves as children. And I know you're a parent yourself and you're also a grandparent. So I've no doubt that you're seeing all of this play out in the real world. And then perhaps it's reconditioning you and helping you to, to look at where you're at in a totally different way, as we all can benefit from the lessons of others. So, and, and those stories that our brain makes up when we're a child what the brain knows at the time. And then this is the crazy thing about the brain. And this is where neuroscience, and I think we share a similar interest in understanding more about it. This is where neuroscience is able to tell us those neurons, they fired and wired together and they made that story mean something. And until something happens in our lives in the future to trigger it, that pattern, that loop still plays over and over and over again. And it's only once we we see it, then we can start to to repattern it. So thank you so, yeah. so much for sharing that. I truly appreciate it. Sure. Um, so my next question then is really building on from you have worked with so many different people, you've done so many different things. What is one thing you would like to share about your perspective of time, how it shapes your lifestyle, your business, your processes, freedom? What are you doing nowadays to design your life? very long question. No. What are you deliberately excluding? And what are you surprised now including? I just would love yeah. to hear your thoughts on this whole narrative. Yeah, yeah. So I think the key phrase in the question is deliberate, being very deliberate and very intentional. So I decided again, about 13 years ago to get intentional 
And one of the first intentional things was vacations are scheduled regularly. And it doesn't matter. I'm in fact, uh, from the time of us uh, discussing this, I'm heading on vacation uh, next week, but not just vacation, you know, because I have children in different states of the United States and grandchildren now. And, and again, but even going back then, so back to 13 years ago, it, it became intentional. Uh, it wasn't necessary for me to open email at six in the morning, even if I woke up, it wasn't necessary for me to get on social media in those hours. So I got intentional about first thing was my morning time and my morning time belongs to me. So that means I also did something else, Abigail, that I thought was a game changer and I think could be for anyone listening was I decided I was not waking up to an alarm clock ever again. Now, subject to the now, if I have to take a flight at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., that's a little different of a story. But in general, I haven't I don't use an alarm clock. And I, I decided, why don't I wake up when I'm done sleeping and not when I'm retired? See, because a lot of people think about that concept when they're retired, when they don't have to be somewhere. Well, I just got tired of the alarm clock. I'll be dead honest with you. I got tired wow, of the alarm I love clock. Love it. So I just decided I'm done with the alarm clock. And this has now been about six or seven years that I just wake up when I'm done sleeping. I let my body determine how much sleep I need. Now, subconsciously, before I go to bed, I already know what's on my calendar for the next day. And it's super interesting that when you tell yourself, and I, used, I just started with a simple mantra before I went to bed, I'm ready to get a good night's sleep and I will wake up when I'm done. When my body feels rested, I will wake up. Interestingly enough, sometimes that's five hours, sometimes that's seven hours, sometimes that's nine hours. And it's always interesting, though, that the subconscious mind, though, knows what's happening tomorrow if you look ahead. And so it doesn't let you oversleep. Right. And so for me, I don't know what oversleeping is. So those were some things that they're, they're basically I got really intentional about the first two, two and a half hours of the morning. No one can call. No one can email. I will not reply. It doesn't matter. By the way, I don't have notifications largely on anything on my phone. My phone can ring, of course. My text message notification can be there, of course, because I've got family and I've got kids in other states. My, co- my daughter's in college. and you know I've got to have some areas where people can get to me. But app notifications don't exist, not even on my project management system, not on my chat system, nothing on social media. None of that matters. You know why? Because I choose to go to those when I'm ready. And what I learned over the years is nothing typically is ever on fire. It's on fire in their mind, but in in their mind, it's not necessarily a fire. It's just like, Mm -hmm. oh, I just wanted you to know. So I got really intentional about the first two to three hours of the morning. So for me, that typically looks like me waking up about 5 to 5.30 most days. Every now and then it's 4.30. Every now and then it's 6. But it's mostly that 5.30 average sweet spot. And I just, nothing happens until 8 a.m. I make exceptions from time to time for really good friends, like to be on this podcast. But that is a decided exception. It's not a rule where someone can get to me that hour. I even asked you when I said, hey, I, I, I can do this call at this time, which is an hour before my typical start of the day. But I get intention. I got intentional. I started just, carving out buckets. Go for it. I just want to interrupt you there. Sorry. Just run us through what you did this morning because you're in hmm. Nevada. I was going to say Texas. Las Nevada, Vegas. Las yeah, Vegas. Las Vegas. Yeah. Tell us what arriving here to be on the podcast looked like yeah. just so that people yeah. can actually understand the the, yeah. the mindset of achievement so it's super interesting right so abigail reaches out to me we've been friends now for a few years she reaches out and says hey i'd love to have you on my show and i'm heading on vacation next week and i i said i'm happy to do it at 7 a.m on friday she says great so my mind i don't set an alarm clock uh, it happens to be that i woke up wake up at 4 34 this morning I get up and use the restroom, take care of myself. I drink some water first. I've always drank uh, 16 ounces of water as soon as I wake up. 
So I get some hydration in after we've been on a fast. So I put some water in my body and then I lay back down and I put in a 17 minute meditation. That is, this one's called signaling a new timeline, which is kind of a really refreshing start to the day. I don't use it every single day, but I do some sort of meditation every day. I finish the meditation. I get out of the bed. I go brush my teeth, do all the things. And I get into what I'm wearing to the gym and I go get my, um, my energy drink, which is a, a zero sugar, all natural energy drink. I don't do rock star and all that crazy stuff. And I head out the door and then I go on a 15 minute drive to the gym, even though the gym is two minutes away from the house. I reduce the windows, no matter what the temperature is, generally, unless it's 110 degrees this morning, it was 82 and muggy, but I love the fresh air. And I just take a 15 minute drive through my, my neighborhood and that it's sort of another area or an extension of my meditation. So I just listen to some calming music, some nature sounds. Sometimes I'll put in some motivational speaking. Sometimes I'll put in, uh, I never put in learning at that time though. So I'm still in just get set and get reset, get mindful for the day without a lot of input. I don't want learning input as soon as I wake up. I get mm. to the gym. Now I might turn in an audiobook while I'm working out. Now I might put a podcast in while I'm working out. In fact, I don't listen to music when I work out. My workout's generally about 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes. Today was a little bit shorter because I had to get back sooner, but I generally then will put in some learning. So I combine learning with exercise. And some would say, well, you're not really listening to the whole learning. You're probably right but my brain can do one and a half things <laughs> according to science, right? So I'll rather, I'll take one and a half because I know I can get it done during that window. I come back, I, I immediately get a, generally, usually I get a protein shake, a mix. It's not a protein shake. It's a meal replacement shake that's loaded with all sorts of good stuff. And then I get ready for my day. I open my calendar. I check my email. Here's the one thing about email. I delete everything first that I don't want. And then I open what matters. So I don't open all the emails. So on a normal morning, I've got 30 or so emails. I've got multiple inboxes because I have a couple of businesses. But the process of email for me is I select all and then I go down the line of anything that doesn't need my attention, that I don't know who it is, and I hit delete. So I get rid of 30 and I end up with six. And wow. then I start from there. <laughs> wow. So, these so these are top, top, top tip. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I filter email really quickly. And, and then I look for, I have a filtering system. Is this a lead? Yes or no? Is there something in this that someone needs from me? Yes or no? Is this something that belongs to someone else on my team? Yes or no? Is this something I want to review later? Yes or no? Is this something that needs to do with an existing project? Yes or no? And each of those five have an answer of what to do next. If there's something that's needed from me and I can do it in two minutes or less, I do it right now. I do it now. I don't put it on the project system for later. I don't calendar it for a month. If it takes two minutes or less, I get it done now. And I got that from David Allen from 20 years ago when I read Getting Things Done. And then the other four have their own filtering system. They get out of my inbox and into something else where it's appropriate for me to be reminded about it later. Fantastic. I love it. Wow, 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 wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of these top tips. And I just have to say at this point, Daryl is one of the case studies in my book, Time Management for Entrepreneurs and Professionals. So if you're loving what Daryl's sharing, you will find out more of his tips, tricks and strategies in the book. And we're going to leave all the links to how to find Daryl in the show notes, including his incredible podcast. We will get onto that in the questions. The time is flying here, Daryl. You are just full of so many nuggets. It is it's easy amazing. for us to talk. Yeah. 
Uh, I am beyond grateful to have this opportunity to speak to you. So let's move now sort of more to where we are today. What is your relationship like with time today? You've given us some top tips. Is there anything else that you haven't shared? And particularly, maybe tell us something that you do now that you know other people don't do. That I know other people don't do. I think in my work, I still think people aren't, they're saying yes to things they should be saying no to. And what I mean in that is they should be saying no, not now. They should be saying no, not ever. And they should be saying no, not me. And what I mean by those three things are not now means is this a priority now? And we're sometimes we think everything has to be done now. So no, not now means put it somewhere for later or tell the person who's invited you to the thing that you can't participate today. I get invitations to be on a lot of podcasts, not a ton, but I mean, I get my fair share. And I just don't have enough space on my calendar to do a podcast. You know, I've only got so many hours in a month, just like everyone else. No, never means, is this something I should really engage with? Someone can send me an email about something and say, Daryl, I really like you to participate in this. I had a board invitation to sit on a board. And for me, that was a no, not now. I cannot commit to another board right now. I'm on, an, I'm on one. Sometimes it's no, not now. No, not ever. And you, you, should, you owe that person that decision today. Don't drag that person on and say, oh, get back with me next month. You didn't want to do it today. <laughs> Just decide today. And then, there's, and then there's no, not me, meaning someone else is probably more suited to do this. And that is both from a lead generation standpoint, because remember, I, get, I'm a, I run a marketing agency and I run coaching and growth advising. I'm not best suited for every type of business on the planet. So no, not me could be, listen, I've heard you. I appreciate that you found me or I appreciate that you're, you're wanting me to be there, but I don't think I'm best suited for this project. I don't think I, my expertise is best aligned. The other part of no, not me is the work that actually needs to get done. Should it be delegated to someone else on your team? And those are three things that I still think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of leaders, and just even in our lives, there's just, we're not saying no. And no is liberating. Wow. It's not rude. It's liberating. I feel, I, for feel like using, I feel like I'm using the same adjectives over and over again, but that was so simple, but so profound. I had to write it down. Not <laughs> now, not me, not. Ever. ever. So I I know <laughs> that there will be people who have taken away something from this. And I remember early in my career and a time management training that I was on, and somebody's recommendation was when an opportunity comes in and you are mulling it over in your head. So you are thinking, do I want to do it? Imagine it going into your diary and put yourself into that future date will you have the same energy you have today? So if you say yes today, is it still going to be a yes in a month's time? Yes. And I found that a really interesting thought process because there's so many times, especially say if we've gone to the gym and we're on endorphins, <laughs> we say yes yeah. because yeah. we're hyped and we're pumped. And then in a month's time, it comes around three o'clock in the afternoon, then we don't want to do it. Exactly. You know, one of the distinctions about no, and again, I've been using this now through some coaching over the years. And again, getting back to time management, I mean, getting back to having intention, having no in your repertoire is intentional. You just don't break the habits that I've had of wanting to over service and keeping because I was a yes person, like, yes, 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 I want to be of service. Yes, 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 I'd love to serve. Yes, 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 I'd love to lead. Thank you so much. Da, da, da. And before you know it, so here's the distinction. I got it from Michael Hyatt. And I want to, I don't remember which book it was in, but Michael Hyatt said it this way. When you say no, the best energy that you can bring to the no when you're responding, especially if you're responding digitally, because I get a lot of 
where I respond digitally. If I said, I'd love to, and I appreciate your consideration of having me be a part of this. However, I'm going to have to say no, because if I say yes to you, it'll compromise my ability to keep the commitments I've already made. And that was like, I was like, you can't make it any softer than that. I appreciate that you've wanted to include me in this. However, it's got to be a no for me because if I said yes, it would compromise my ability to keep the commitments I've already made. And when I when I heard him say that, I was like, oh, that's going to my pocket right now. And I've been using it ever since. That is such a top tip there because so many people will say to me, I don't know how to say no. So one of the conversations we have is really around saying no without saying no. The interest um, is, what have you committed to that would be compromised? So the question is, before you say yes, look ahead to your point. You just It was almost the same thing. You look ahead and say, will I still be energized by that in a month? So you got to look ahead on your calendar and say, huh, what could I actually, what could get in the way of me keeping these form, these already predetermined commitments? I think when you frame it that way, it makes it a little bit easier. And you're also letting the person know you're a person of integrity. Because listen, if you're already committed to the fact that you've already made some other agreements, you're just telling me you can't break those agreements. How could anyone be upset with that? Mm. And it is demonstrating your core values as well by saying, thank you for considering me as well. I think sometimes. Absolutely. Well, I'm always humbled to be considered for anything. I mean, yeah. being on this podcast, I'm humbled to be here. You know, you have, I'm sure thousands upon thousands of people you could have invited to be here. I'm humbled to be here. And so it's an honor for me to be here. And But I think ultimately we have to decide what commitments are we going to keep? What commitments should we actually not make? And that's the distinction in some of this, because it's all a choice at the end of the day, what we say yes and what we say no to. So, And it's creating a reality. We're not happy with the lifestyle that we've got. It's the consequence of the things that we said yes or no to. Exactly. Um, one of the things that comes up a lot in conversations with people is that they say they want more time or they want time freedom. So as a person who has pretty decent relationship with time, what would you say time freedom actually is what it looks like? Because I do truly believe that a lot of what people think they want, they don't even really know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> I thought time freedom was something I would attain for a long time. I thought time freedom was something I would attain after I retired, after I reached a certain economic status, after I had a certain amount of money in the bank. I just, I don't know where I came up with it, but I made that story up. Either I'd heard it, I read it, whatever the case may be. Time freedom for me happens to be that I have it today, though I have a very robust work schedule. The freedom to schedule this call is freedom. The freedom to just ask my team, hey, I'm going to join you at 8.15 versus 8. That's freedom. The freedom to go have lunch today with my longtime friend since I was the, we were the age of five or six at noon today is freedom. I also have been out of the office for two days. I ran a live workshop for some entrepreneurs. That's freedom. Wednesday, I was at a mastermind. That's freedom. I still have work to do. I have proposals to get out. I have new customers to acquire, but it's all systematized and scheduled. To me, that is now time freedom. So freedom to me is the ability to set your schedule and be intentional about what matters. When I say that I'm not taking an appointment after 3 p.m. on any day of the week, that's freedom. When I say I'm going to eat dinner with my family every night at 5.30, whether I cook or they cook or we eat out, it's freedom. When I can travel to Texas, that's freedom. And some would say, well, yeah, you're an entrepreneur and you own the business. No, no, no. There's plenty of people who own the business and don't have any control of their schedule. 
<laughs> has nothing to do with how much money the business makes, how many employees you have. It's deciding what matters and how you're going to arrange it. And so, you know, there's a phenomena about when we go on vacation and how we seem to be the most productive when we're leading in the days leading up to vacation. And so what I've learned is time blocking everything, meaning if I say I'm going to do it, it must go on the calendar. Therefore, I realize when some people look at my calendar, Abigail, they'll think, my goodness, you're busy. And I'm like, oh, no, no. But I block, I calendar my appointments. I calendar my workouts. I calendar dinner. I calendar lunch. I calendar everything. I calendar when I go to the salon, the, you know, when my wife and I go to get nails and pedicures and whatnot, I calendar everything. And that lets me know what I have going on. So you could look at my calendar and you think, man, he has no time. Oh, no, no. Half the time on there belongs to me. <laughs> Fantastic. What I'm hearing you say is that you're managing your tasks and your activities. You're not necessarily trying to find enough time, have enough time. You are consciously right. deciding, yep. I, I am doing this. And then you are prioritizing it in your calendar because this is the place that you're living from. So let's just talk about this calendar thing specifically for a second. Are all the different types of appointments in the calendar colored different colors? I knew you were going to ask that. I had a, no, I can't do, I can't do that. I, they're all the same color. They're not. Wow. I'm actually shocked. I, ironically, yeah. And I've seen that class. I, I actually went through, I've seen that. They're not. I have no real reason to make them another color. Now, I have four calendars that I know, I don't want this to sound overwhelming, but I have four calendars. I have my agency's business. I have my coaching business. I have my podcast calendar and I do have a personal calendar for my family, but they all talk to each other. So in other words, they're all synced. My coaching business calendar is blue and it is from a different business. So while you will see blue on my calendar, it's at the same time that you see it as orange on my agency calendar because I needed asynchronous so that someone doesn't book me for coaching, but I've got an agency appointment. But the answer to your question is, I know what you're getting at. No, all the colors on my main calendar are orange because my company's color is orange. My main color on my coaching and podcast calendar is blue because that business is blue. But and my main personal calendar is, I think, green or red. I can't tell. So while you will see multiple colors at times on my calendar, they actually all say the same thing. So when you are updating your personal, you're putting it into your personal calendar, but all of the calendars... Yes. Yeah, so, so, which is so, the main one that you fly on most? I fly on my agency's calendar. And so everything gets copied to my agency's calendar or my agency calendar copies down. And I love that I just used the phrase fly and then you picked it up straight away because I feel like we have spoken about Top Gun as being an influence <laughs> in our life. So over the years, just I digress, yeah. but we, yeah, we manage business and life like we're flying a plane. Yeah. As we are wrapping up our conversation here, we can not talk about time without talking about AI, because I feel like this is all anybody is talking about. So obviously you run an agency and I have no doubt that AI is having a big impact in how you are managing, running your business and doing it for your clients. Let's just really focus in on talking to me about how it's affecting your productivity. Yeah, my personal productivity since I started really actively playing with AI. And it's interesting because I started reading about AI and where, what it was doing and what was going to happen in 2017. I remember reading a book when I was uh, jumping on a plane to go somewhere and I posted it on social media and I said, hey, everybody, you better start paying attention to this. And it was 2017. 
And so fast forward to uh, ChatGPT, which obviously is the largest news going on with BARD and some of the other things, and then the proliferation of all the tools that have been built on top of GPT-3 and 4. So in my personal productivity, I have been putting AI to the test against everything that I do in my daily workflow. So anytime I have an opportunity to do something, I'm going to put it through an AI model first and see what I can get out of it. And I'll just summarize for the sake of time. I'm seeing an, on average about a 60% reduction in time to get that thing done. I just did a 12 hour project that normally takes me 12 hours. It's kind of one of my superpowers, but it does take 12 hours uh, on average leading up until AI. And my most recent project was completed at about four and a half hours with the help of AI. And it was wow. deliverable at the same quality that I would, cause I don't do bad quality. That's what I started seeing. And I've been testing that on multiple things right now. I think it, I think I have a list of 37 things that I will go to AI first before I start thinking with my own head. And with my company, to your point, one of the largest challenges is the content creation piece of our business. And so we are very aggressively testing and uh, tooling and integrating. And so from a business owner standpoint, AI has helped us not only reduce costs, save time, but also time is cost when you realize that my time is usually on and my biggest cost is uh, salaries. It, it is really impacting us in a major way, and it, more so than I ever even thought in the last uh, seven, eight months. And I'm only, uh, I'm continuing the discussion. I'm obviously now working with companies and looking at how we can improve not only our workflow, but now how AI is going to spill into the platforms that we do our work on, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Googles, the YouTubes, and how we're going to be able to combine our efficiency with AI with what they're also doing to improve their efficiencies with AI. So there is a real transformation happening right now. And I using it sort of in collaboration so you're using it to inform what you already knew versus yes i believe um, yeah i believe the people that are going to get the most out of ai now i mean i think there's two groups but i think the group that gets the best use out of ai right now are those who have who have a clear idea and understanding of what the output is supposed to look like because ai right now will give you it'll make us it'll make up stuff I've literally told ChatGPT that's 100% false. So if you're not aware of what it's supposed to say or do, then you could be subject to hurting your career in a major way. But if you are an expert at what you do and you know what output is supposed to look like, absolutely, it's inquired of you. Even if you're a salaried employee, it's an imperative for you to use less brain power so you can be sharp in other areas of your business. So the way I, I, I was in my car one day and I found this YouTube video from a Stanford professor, doctor, I don't even know what his title was, but he helped me get it. And the question was, will AI take over the world? Will AI take our jobs? Will AI take over what the humans can do? He said it this way. He goes, AI is good at one plus. Humans are good at zero to one. So what I heard was, the creative thinking from zero to one is where we still own the game. From one plus, if AI can do it, you should let AI do it. So I was like, oh, so the creative ability of what we bring to the table is still required because AI can't do the creative work. It can do the mundane. So let's let it do the mundane. I'm not saying mundane as in, but a coder, for example, I'm hearing all about this stuff in the coding world. Well, coming up with the code, coming up with what you want the code to do is one thing. Do you have to write every button of the code? No, let AI do it. But your job is to figure what should this thing look like when it's done and then ask it. So you got to give it the right input. And that's what I think the power is. So am I hearing you say that the AI, uh, that we as the humans are doing the ideation? Correct. 
And then the AI is doing the execution sort of support with the implementation, the execution. That's right. Yeah. Right. Right. You still have to bring the thinking to it. And if you don't, if you haven't played with it, and those that have already know this, AI will flat up make up stuff that's 50% wrong all the time. And you're only going to find that out if you do enough reps. So Abigail, when ChatGPT first sort of blew up in December, I heard about it in December. I have spent in the neighborhood of 300 hours giving it prompts and giving it input so I could see what the output would look like. I literally have tried to put members of my team out of business with AI. And I mean that to say it this way, can AI do what my person does in this particular role? Can AI do what this person does? I've been trying to say, not because I want them to go, let me be clear about mm -hmm. that, but what is its capabilities? So I took up, let me give it a quick example. So we had a Google ad campaign for one of our clients that was struggling. We couldn't hit our KPIs. We were struggling. It was a relatively new campaign, but this was a campaign we'd succeeded on in the past for other companies similar in their niche. We couldn't figure it out. So my manager was struggling with it. And so he, we're having these you know, coaching calls and he's struggling, couldn't get it together. The customer's getting a little frustrated. And I'm thinking, let's see if AI can figure this out. And it couldn't, it can't do thinking. It does execution. Mm. And so while my manager was struggling with it, I couldn't get AI to fix the problem. So I'm like, good news for you. <laughs> you have a job, right? I mean, now I'm just being funny, but mm. so mm. I'm putting it to the limits to see where it can work. And then I'm going to use it accordingly to do those things. Number one, as a CEO, my job and all of our businesses, if we're a business owner listening to this, our job is to the P&L. Like we have a responsibility to run a profitable business. And if this is going to cut costs by 20, 30, 15, 12, 42, whatever it might be, it's your obligation to lean in. It's your ob obligation if you're a CEO to lean in. Mm. If you're a, a leader or an employee or someone who's required for high levels of output, I think it's imperative that you lean in. Don't resist it. You know, what I've been hearing with a lot of people is, I, I just got this from someone who was a copywriter. He said, I'm an A++ copywriter. And I've been playing with ChatGPT and the best I can give it is a C- minus or a D+. And I'm like, you're delusional. You're actually delusional. If you think you're better than this because you won't adapt to this and he's going to be obsolete. So the issue is he pitched me a $5,000 project, which in old days before AI was a reasonable rate. That rate today is about a $2,000 to $2,500 project. So I'm willing to pay $2,000, but I'm not willing to pay five. Knowing mm. what I know now, I'm not going to mm. pay you five. I'll pay you two because that's the differential I know is. And so if you're not catching up to that, a lot of service providers, a lot of freelancers are going to find themselves, if you keep talking bad about AI, as if it's not going to... Look, technology, as Gary Vee said, technology has never lost. Gary Vee said it. It was one of those YouTube... He said technology has never been defeated. So you can either adapt or you're going to get crushed. I mean, it's it's innovation. And it's almost like that conversation that happened years ago around outsourcing. Like, well, should we get it done in the team or should we outsource it? And so for me, I see, I see this Same. AI conversation around collaboration. It's just, it's a new member of your team. Correct. A free that. member of your team as much as possible, where some of the platforms obviously are paid now, but as much as possible, some of it is is free. So why would you not utilize that facility? But just like when we used to do the outsourcing, we're delegating, we're not stepping away and saying, okay, you're in charge. That's part of the leadership role. That's part of the that conversation is how can we collaborate together? Yeah. So yeah. Here's, here's another really interesting example from a time standpoint. One of the jobs my marketing agency has to do is analyze the brand voice and communication style of our customers because they're asking us to write and market, whether it's copy, blogs, emails, we have to write on their behalf. 
We don't work for them. They have years and years and years of speaking the way they want to be, the way they want to speak to the public, to the customer, to their leads. I used to pay writers to do research and have to spend mm -hmm. hours and hours and hours reading their material and deciding how their literary style is, the, you know, all the things. Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm. Now I can take AI and I can pull blog posts and emails from the writers of their company or YouTube video uh, transcripts. I can input those in AI and have AI analyze their writing style, have an AI analyze their voice, have AI give me a summary of how to approach the languaging of their brand. Why? Mm -hmm. And I can do that in two hours versus paying someone 15 hours. Why? Mm. I'm obligated to, to cut that differential. I'm obligated. <laughs> yeah, that is so, so interesting as well. And I have even been using it myself. Obviously, everybody wants a time management tip. So, Daryl, I ask, what are your top eight time management tips? It gives oh me goodness. the list of the eight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because everything, you know, I do around here is always about the eight. So it gives me the list of the eight. The eight that it lists are the eight that I would have recommended. However it can't tell my stories. Mm -mm. And so that's where, as a collaborative tool together, so our job, I truly feel, from a time management point of view, is to save ourselves time, to save the business's time, but to identify what our skill set is, what we are bringing to the party, because we still are bringing lots of things to the party. Absolutely. You've brought so much to this party today. The time has absolutely flown by. I feel, I feel like I want to say what, what's anything you've not been asked, but I don't know that we have time. We might have to bring no. you back for another episode. Yes. Daryl, where can we find out more about you? Everything's going to be in the show notes, but just give us the top things that we absolutely must check out. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, my primary home on the web is uh, DarylEvans.net. And from there, you can find my podcast and my agency and uh, all sorts of goodies if you're interested in marketing, growing and scaling your business. And that would probably be the best place. You can connect to all my socials from there. So uh, DarylEvans.net. DarylEvans.net. I love it. And Daryl has an incredible podcast, I have been a guest on his podcast, so you must check that out. And we will leave a link to that podcast episode in the show notes as well, so you can listen to it. So, Daryl Evans, thank, thank you for having you. me. Thank you. It has been my pleasure. And thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Time Management Podcast. We are so excited that you were here, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you loved what you heard, be sure to let me know by leaving a review so I can keep the good stuff coming. Come and say hi on Instagram at Success by Design Training or visit my website, successbydesigntraining.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search Abigail Barnes. Until next time, don't forget, you are amazing and it's your time.